a Bible this morning, find the book of First Kings. First Kings. We're going to be in chapter number 19. Grab a notebook, grab something, grab your phone and open up the notes at. T- take some notes here. It, uh, uh, everybody knows 98% of those that take notes in church go to heaven, right? <laughs> we know that, okay? And so do that. I made that up. Uh, but this morning is the third week of a series of messages where we've been talking about depression and anxiety. Uh, We've been using the phrase, out of the cave, out of the cave. Mental illness is a massive issue in our culture, a massive issue in central Minnesota, Um, even within our church. All of us, every one of us in this place know somebody who struggles deeply with the topic of depression or anxiety. In fact, for some of us here today, it's your story, and it's it's your struggle, and it's a very real thing for you. And so every one of us, this touches us in some way. Uh, and we're using the word depression sort of as a catch-all when we talk about this, but we're really just talking about the heaviness, the darkness uh, that, that, that we feel emotionally at different times, and you get that. Uh, and, and, and let me just start by saying this. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I, I ha- I'm not trained in any of this type of stuff. Uh, and medicine, and uh, but I do just believe that God has created all of us in his image, and we need spiritual answers to some of these things as well as physical and medical things, uh, and so that is what we're talking about. In the last couple weeks, we started out by just saying, hey, even Christians get depressed, and that was, a, uh, that was an important week as we just tried to debunk some of the stupid thoughts in the Christian churches today that if, if I just love Jesus, I will forever have joy and never have anything difficult go on in my life. That is not real, and that is okay. Christians get depressed. Uh, last week, we started talking about how, man, a big portion of the depression and anxiety that we see and feel in America is actually lifestyle-based. It is not chemical in nature. Uh, there, there are, according to psychiatrists and doctors, there are 12 causes of depression and anxiety in people's lives, things like trauma in our past and other things like that. Only two of the 12 are chemical in nature. What that means is, by the way, is chemical stuff is very real, and you will not find a doctor or a psychiatrist to say other, okay, to say other than that. Chemical stuff, and for some of us, that is your journey, medicine and, and, and counseling and all of that, because there has been a mess in your body that is caused of. That is a real thing, and I do not mean to, to talk lightly about any of that, but also the reality is 10 out of the 12 causes of depression, according to medical doctors, uh, are, are not chemical in, in nature. Most of them are lifestyle issues, where we are living a lifestyle that is overworked, not nourished, less exercise than we need, less social than we need. All of these things are contributing factors. We talked about that last week. If you missed last week, watched that thing on our website. We talked, it was just called Life in Balance. And we talked about the imbalances that we have in our life that are leading to all of, all of that, okay? Uh, and that really leads us to today our, our story uh, from the Bible. The, the Bible is filled with things about depression, by the way. There's, it doesn't say the word depression, that word, but it uses things like the spirit of heaviness. We have that phrase and other things as well. But we are looking at the story of a man named Elijah. Elijah was a man of God, a prophet of God who finds himself under a tree wishing he was dead. 
and he prays to God to take his life. Depression, anxiety, fear has overwhelmed him to the point where that is the case, okay? And he's going to end up finding himself in a cave, in a cave. It's a physical cave, but there's symbolism here as well. This cave also represents a different kind of darkness, a different kind of cave. So that's enough of an introduction for today. I want to ask you to stand with me all over this place, and we're just going to read a passage of Scripture together. Uh, If you've been here the past two weeks, you almost are going to have this Scripture memorized, at least the story memorized. We are talking the same exact a uh, few verses as we did the last two weeks, and we're going to just hang out with those for a while uh, because there's so much here for us. And so let's just read this together as we begin. Here's what it says, First, First Kings chapter 19, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life, and when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came through a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. By the way, this is what we talked about last week, God's first God's first piece of help for this man in the midst of his depression is physical rest and nourishment, okay? We talked about that. Physical stuff are contributing to his mess here. Get up and eat. Verse 6, he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Let's pray. God, we, we just take a deep breath and invite you into this moment right here. God, I know that there are, there are many of us in this place and many watching behind a screen today where depression and anxiety emotional stuff, darkness, whatever you want to call it, God, is a very real thing in our lives. And Lord, I pray, I pray that that your word would bring encouragement and help to someone who needs that, bring hope to somebody today, uh, that they don't have, they don't have to live like this forever and that you are there. And so we just come to you uh, and ask for you to do that in your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. All right, hey, calm down. One high five. We're talking and smiling and saying, yeah. All right, here we go. I'm just playing. Uh, You may be getting tired of the same story here over and over and over again, but I believe this story to be significant. and, and, And I believe this is going to be a story that many of us remember going forward. And my prayer, in fact, is that when you find yourself in the midst of anxiety and depression and 
whatever else dark moments in your life that this story of Elijah in the Bible would come back to you. And you would begin to see some of the things that God is going to do as we move farther and farther along this. This morning, I've titled the message, The Downward Spiral. The Downward Spiral. Webster's Dictionary, I didn't know this, but they actually have entire phrases in the dictionary now, not just words. And this phrase, Downward Spiral, shows up in the dictionary. Let me define it for you. It's defined this way, a situation in which something continuously decreases or gets worse. You could have come up with that all by yourself. You didn't need me to tell you. But they give this example of this, of this phrase, Downward Spiral. This is the Webster's Dictionary example of how, how this could be used in a sentence, her life was a downward spiral as she battled depression and addiction. Okay, downward spiral. And I think, and I think for those of us here today where this is a real issue for you and this is something that you deal with, like uh, you understand this phrase, spiraling downward, almost feeling out of control uh, because, because there are some seasons where things go better than others, Right? I mean, for every one of us, we have seasons of, you could call it the mountaintops and the valleys, or however you want to, however you want to say it, but there are seasons in all of our lives where things seem to be spiraling in that way. And when we look at the story of Elijah, this is the picture that is really actually painted for us. One moment, Elijah is emotionally at the top of a mountain, and then things begin from there to sort of spiral out of control for him. And the argument that I want to make to you today that I think can be helpful is that there are specific things in his life that contribute to this downward spiral, and there are specific things in your life as well. Okay, You may even have a chemical thing in your body, but there are still very real, very real things that contribute to your spiral downward. In fact, uh, one of my good friends, um, she actually is a part of our Long Prairie Church. If you didn't know this, we have multiple locations, uh, but severe issues with depression and anxiety, trauma in her past, and all sorts of things, chemical imbalance, like everything all together. And I've worked with her a number of times through some different things. One of the things they have had her do over the years is actually fill out this massive booklet with all sorts of the things that contribute to her downward spiral when that comes, okay? This is more than just a lifestyle thing. This is even for those of us who are in the middle of chemical stuff as well. There are things in our lives that contribute to the downward spiral of depression and anxiety. We see this in the life of Elijah, and it's massively true, uh, okay, for us as well. And so I want to show you this today. There's actually four of them in this story. Initially, the plan was to go through all four of them this morning, but, la- but I wrote out that message, and it was about an hour and a half long. And I thought to myself, there's not a whole lot of us that want to sit here that long. Some of us are like, I'll be here all day, Pastor. Okay, okay, come on. Be real here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you don't have to say that. <laughs> uh, but so I've split this up into two weeks, and so we're going to take two of them this week and two of them next week. But I want, to put, I want to put all four of them on the screen here to start, so go ahead and put that up here for me. These are the four things that we're going to see in the life of Elijah Okay, first we're gonna, uh, is social distancing. Second is what we're going to call this comparison trap. Um, third is the word rumination. 
which is actually the word that they use for cows uh, chewing their cud. You vomit something and spit it back up and chew it again and vomit it some more, like you swallow it and, and vomit it and chew it, and it's nasty, okay? We do this mentally, and so next week we're going to talk about how uh, the mental battle that goes on in our life, and number four is what we're just going to call the unseen enemy. And so we're going to talk about these over the next couple weeks, two this week and two, that, two next. So let's start with this first one, uh, four contributing factors to Elijah's downward spiral. If you're taking notes, that would be the heading of this thing right here. Number one, social distancing. And I use that phrase on purpose because of COVID and mandatory. And hopefully, as I said that phrase, it like brought all sorts of nasty feelings inside of you. Uh, from that right there, because that's what this is. It really is a, a, a nasty thing. In our story today with Elijah, there's a small piece of information that we're given uh, that most of us would just read past. And, and in fact, it's a piece of information that at first you can just kind of think this really doesn't add to the story. This doesn't help the story. Why did they put this in the story? But I think the author here who's writing this out does this on purpose, puts this information here on purpose to paint a little bit of a bigger picture of the entire thing and what led Elijah to this depressed state of mind, okay? Elijah hears that the queen is out to kill him. The queen is coming to kill him. And we read in verse number three, he was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And there he comes to a broom bush, sat down on it, and prayed that he might die. He comes to Beersheba in Judah, which is this city. He leaves his servant there and goes a day's journey into the wilderness all by himself, leaves his servant there and goes on alone. And reading this, we can easily just like think to ourselves, who cares if Elijah brought his servant with or not. This is, what, what does that matter? Why does that matter? But listen to me, when we are talking about the issue of depression and anxiety and the darkness that is all of this, okay, and this is what we're seeing play out in, the, in, in Elijah's life, then all of the sudden, this little bit of information means something. It means something. Elijah decides for whatever reason to go on all alone into the wilderness. Why does he leave his servant? Why does, why does he make this decision? Well, we can make a few guesses. I mean, we weren't there. Maybe he's looking out for his servant's safety. I don't know. I mean, the queen's trying to kill him, uh, but maybe feeling completely overwhelmed with fear and uncertainty, maybe Elijah comes to the conclusion that he needs to deal with this all by himself. Uh, we, we don't know. Maybe he wanted time to process what was going on inside of him and some of the whatever. We don't know exactly what Elijah is thinking and what is going on in his mind or why he left his servant and went on alone. But what we do know is that not long after he ditches this servant, he finds himself under a tree wanting to die. Not long after he wanders into the wilderness all by himself is he praying to God to take his life. And I would argue, and many, many like Bible scholars even would agree with this, that, that this decision and this piece of information in Elijah's life led and was a part of the downward spiral that he experienced. 
Elijah distanced himself from everybody else and went on to deal with this stuff alone. Mother Teresa uh, once made this statement. She said, the most terrible poverty in the world is loneliness. The most terrible poverty. The book of Ecclesiastes says this, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. The picture we're painted is of this wealthy, lonely dude who, where there was no end to his toil because he was alone. Because he was alone. Listen, listen. Every book you read on the topic of depression, every book you read on, on, on mental illness stuff, every therapist you talk to, every medical professional would agree that the lack of the right kind of relationships in your life are a large contributing to factor to depression and anxiety. A lack of the right kinds of relationships. This is Bible, this is medicine, this is psychiatrists, this is books, journals, medical reports. Distancing ourselves from people is a contributing factor to depression and anxiety. And like Elijah, like I'm not sure why we do this, but we do it. I'm not sure why we think that in some of our darkest moments, it's a good idea to isolate ourselves in these, like the moments where we actually need people the most, we come to the conclusions that it's better for us to go off all alone. We do this. And, and maybe sometimes like I think we feel, we feel like we're a burden to those around us. If you have, if you have dealt with this, you felt that. You felt like you're such a burden, okay? Uh, but the, the, the bottom line is we need closeness and we need relationships. Without relationships, we wither and we die as people. Like, we fail to thrive without the right kind of relationships. And here's why this is such a big deal. Even before social distancing and COVID, most experts believe ours to be the loneliest society in human history. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Especially because there are more people, there are more people on our planet than there ever has been before. And we have technology that is, we are able to connect with people around the world in different ways than we ever have before, yet we are the loneliest society in human history. The reality is though like we we are more isolated today than we have ever been and we distract our minds delude our hearts distance our bodies by relating through screens that will always limit our ability to bond connect and belong through a screen can i just say this i'm going to say this out loud and some of you need to write this down and some of you need to like go home and make a change Social media can be one of the most toxic things in your life. Can be absolutely toxic in multiple, multiple ways. And some of us in this place, you need to delete that thing because it is leading you down a path that is no good. There's no good. I'm going to talk a little bit about why. I said it can be, by the way, just to prevent someone from arguing with me about there's good things and whatever else. Okay, I get it. Just understand. It can be one of the most toxic things you could ever understand and ever imagine, okay? It's just not the same as sitting across from someone and having a conversation. 
It's not the same as holding hands as you walk through the park. It's not the same as reading a story to a child by your side. It is not the same. Isolation is one of the worst things you can do when we're talking about anxiety and depression. We are wired to need relationships. We were made, we were created to need relationships, family, friends, people to share different parts of our lives with. And we need people, especially when we're struggling, especially when we're in difficult, because they can provide other perspectives that remind us what is true. I I actually cut this out of my sermon, but now I'm going to try to remember it. This is dangerous territory here. It was ridiculous. A study that I read said that the, the average IQ of a person goes down 30 points, 30 points when we isolate ourselves. Listen to me. That's the weirdest thing ever. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. The whole point of the article basically was the, the worst advice, the worst person you can listen to when you are depressed is yourself. That's the worst advice you can get is you. Especially when you isolate you. You need other people speaking life and truth into your life when our mind goes crazy. No one's saying amen to that. That's okay. <laughs> You're like, I, no, I don't know about that. That's okay. All right. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4.12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. That's good stuff right there. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. To defeat depression and come out of our caves, we need each other more than ever. God never meant for us to handle life on our own. We're made for relationships, which by the way, and I'm just going to keep hammering this. I don't even feel like I need to because I think you agree with this. Uh, But by the way, this is why the Bible has all sorts of together phrases that it uses to talk about the church. It uses the word family, church family, uses the word body, this church body, uses fellowship, uh, even flock, all right? Like there is just no way to to function alone and also be fully alive. To function in healthy ways as people, uh, we have to be connected and we have to be loved. And to be fully connected and fully loved, we have to be fully known. And to be fully known, we have to realize that we need each other, okay? All right, we need to get to the next point here. The bottom line, if we're gonna win the battle against loneliness, isolation, we need authentic relationships with people. Uh, that was first for Elijah. The, the dude is afraid, filled with anxiety, and he leaves the guy and wanders off all by himself. Shortly later, he's under a tree wanting to die. Don't miss that point. Okay, number two, write this down, the comparison trap. The comparison trap, that's creative and it's comparison, that's what we're going after, okay? Uh, There are all sorts of strange details in this story of Elijah, but one of the strangest is what Elijah says to God underneath the tree. One of the weirdest things, and you probably didn't even, you just just read over it and you're like, whatever. Okay, but check this out, verse 4, he comes to this broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He sits under this tree and he prays that he might die. I have have had enough, Lord. 
Okay, fairly normal thing to pray in that situation. Would you agree? Okay, yeah, totally. Take my life. If you're, if you're feeling it and you're suicidal, normal thing to say. God, I don't want to be here anymore. I've had enough. Take my life. Okay, I'm no better than my ancestors. Kind of weird. Like not, not a normal thing that you're going to say in that situation. Would you agree? Like what a weird thing to say. Uh, sitting under the tree wanting to die. I've had, a lo- I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. In his emotional, unrational state of mind, like, think about this. Let's ask this question. Why would Elijah conclude that he was no better than his ancestors? And what does this have to do with him asking God to take his life? Now, we weren't there, so we can only make assumptions, but as I read and read and read, people have all sorts of some pretty good thoughts on this, and I want to kind of read to you, I think, or tell you kind of my favorite Elijah had this God-given calling to be the man of God. If you didn't know this, Elijah, if you've been missing the last couple of weeks, we talked a lot about this. Elijah was the man of God in Israel, the prophet. He was appointed by God to warn the people of Israel uh, to repent from their rebellion against God. That was who he was. It was what he was supposed to do. And Elijah celebrated incredible victories incredible things when you read about his life, things that made him quite different than the average everyday person around him. Miraculous stuff seemed to follow this guy everywhere he went. We talked about this the past couple weeks. Elijah prays for a dead girl, and she raises to life. Supernatural craziness. Other people weren't doing that. He prays for a dead girl, and she comes back to life. Uh, Elijah stands on the banks of the raging Jordan River, and there's a lot more to the story, but he prays, and the river splits, like goes whoop, dry ground. He walks across the middle, and it goes, whoo, okay? It was the sound it made when he did that, too, if you were wondering, okay? Uh, but Elijah, supernatural thing. He prays, and this craziness happens. And the chapter just before all this I want to die stuff, Elijah prays, and literal fire comes blazing down from heaven and burns up this massive thing in front of like a few thousand people. And God is glorified, and all of this happens right here. That happens just like a day before he's under the tree wanting to die. But now he's sitting under this tree wanting to die, and he's thinking to himself, I'm no better than any of these fickle, not committed Israelites, no better than any of my ancestors who God rescued out of slavery in Egypt only to turn and worship a golden calf a little while later. I'm trusting God for the impossible one day, but I run in fear the next. I'm no better than my ancestors. Elijah gets caught up in this weird comparison trap, which only makes him more depressed. It's part of the downward spiral. Now, we, we look around, uh, okay, we look, we're in depression, and we look around and we say, why am I like this? Everyone else is having fun. Everyone else is living life, and here I am unable to get out of bed. Why am I so different than everybody else? Teddy Roosevelt once said, comparison is the thief of joy. It's a thief of joy. When we compare ourselves to the people around us, it kills our joy. It kills our joy. 
And comparison always ends up, don't miss this, it always ends up reinforcing the same conclusions. We will never be good enough, we will never be smart enough, wealthy enough, attractive enough, powerful enough, or special enough. Listen to me, stop comparing your life with the online, the online highlight reel of somebody else. Like you are looking at your everyday real life and comparing it to some social media highlight reel of somebody else. And it will steal your joy. It's not real. It's not real. It paints a false world. And we compare ourselves to that and it's absolutely toxic. Listen, comparison leads to envy and envy is the enemy of contentment. Let me unpack that a little bit because that's, that's fantastic and real, okay? Envy makes contentment impossible. What I mean by that is it is impossible to be satisfied and happy with what you have in life when you're filled with envy over what you don't have. And this is not a poor person looking at a rich person problem. This is a massive materialistic issue that is everywhere in our culture. It is impossible for you to be content and happy and filled with joy if you are focusing on what you do not have and what somebody else may have. And we say things like, okay, we say things like, I'm so, I'm so proud of myself. I worked really hard and I lost 15 pounds. I'm so proud of myself, but I still don't look like her. You see what you've done? I'm so excited. We just got this new SUV. At least it's new to us. Oh, wow, look what they just bought. I'm so proud of my son. He scored four points during his fifth grade basketball game. It was so amazing. Oh, your kid scored 15. Proverbs chapter 14 says, envy rots the bones. It rots the bones. We com- and, 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 and listen to this. We, we compare our weaknesses with other people's strengths. And we see the best talents and qualities in other people. We compare that to the things where we are, that we are worst at. And it steals our joy. And we assume other people have better lives than us. We just all assume that. We hear and see things in the highlight reel of others, the vacations they're taking, the things they're buying, the stuff their kids are doing, but we do not see their struggles. And we don't see the mundane things in their life filled, that their life is filled with, and we do not see their weaknesses. We're comparing our I'm doing laundry to their, they're going to Hawaii, and it's stealing our joy. And it's just, it's dumb. It's toxic. It steals our joy. The only way to get off this treadmill is to begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. And we've got to see others the way God sees them too. See, understand this, and we're kind of, we're getting ready to close here because some of you are like, okay. Um, we're getting there. We don't, we don't have to be like anyone else to be accepted by God. Like, in fact, write this down. God wants you to be you because he made you that way. 
See that? I used you three times. That was pretty good. God wants you to be you because he made you. Like he made you. Psalm chapter 139 says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not a mistake. You were created by God exactly the way he wanted you to be. And you may compare your, yourselves to other people and think, well, I sure got the short end of this God creating me stick. But I'm telling you, you have, you have worth and you have value. And if you can learn to find and root your identity in who God has created you to be and who you are in his eyes, I'm telling you, it will absolutely transform your life. Comparison will steal your joy, but there is absolute joy in putting your identity in who God has created you to be. Music team, will you please come? Now, we're not going to take a lot of time here, but I do just want to leave a few minutes for a time of prayer and reflection. Just understand this, okay? I know we're walking, watching people walk onto the stage and all that stuff, but don't miss this, this as we just kind of summarize this entire day right here. There are contributing factors to the downward spiral of depression. And there's more than just four, Okay? But we look at the story of Elijah and we begin to see some of these things pop out of this story. He ditches his servant, walks off into the wilderness all by himself. And alone and completely isolated, he find him, finds himself under a tree wanting to die. I cannot even begin to tell you how the right relationships in your life can transform things for you. How when you begin to find yourself in the encouragement of the body of Christ and people who will lift you up and pray for you and help you, you, you will find something significant. And it will massively impact some of the lowest moments that you will ever face if you find that. Likewise, if you fill your life with people who are cutting, people who are negative, people who are who are living their lives in all sorts of ways like that, you will, you will become like them. The, the, the Bible says walk with the wise and become wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. And for some of us in this place, like you need to work at this because naturally maybe it's hard for you. And I get that. This is easier for some than others to be social and some of that stuff. And in your lowest moments, sometimes the last thing that you want to do is ask for help or talk to somebody. But I'm telling you, that's what you've got to do. You have to have people in your life who are going to lift you up and speak truth. You are not the best person to listen to when you are in the middle of that junk. You need someone else. You need someone to speak. Elijah leaves his servant. Like, you need people who will encourage you. You need people who will pray for you. You need to find purpose in encouraging and praying for others. And understand, there's just a temptation that we have to compare ourselves to other people everywhere we go all the time. Envy is the enemy of contentment. It's toxic. It will kill your joy. Some of you need to delete that Facebook machine thingy that you have and get rid of it. Your MySpace account, close that thing. If you, if you, if you haven't done... If you haven't done that already, do that. Just 
not even because of this, just do that anyway, okay? Uh, but sincerely, sincerely, some of this is toxic in your life. Be willing to make important decisions that will help you in your future. Please stand with me all over this place. Maybe you're here today and you are in the middle of a season of depression and anxiety and maybe you're looking up at me and saying yeah Pastor Kyle you're kind of this sounds pretty easy but you don't understand listen I can't even begin to understand what some of us have gone through what some of the things that have led to you to where you're at right now. But I do just believe in a God that cares about us, that loves us, that is right there next to us. Yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear not, for you are with me. Psalm 23. For you are with me, and I, I pray, okay, some of us need to do very practical things today at social distancing in comparison and you need to you need to make change for some of us in this place you need to just hang on to the hope that is Jesus you need to hang on to the idea that he is with you and you need to respond to him even today in a couple weeks we're going to even talk we're going to talk and teach on what we're calling stepping into a God moment in two weeks don't miss that thing because for some of us this is what you need God, I pray right now for those in this place where this is a very real thing, even in this moment. God, there are some of us who have struggled with this stuff for years and years and years, and things feel hopeless. And we get into this, 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 this way of thinking that nothing is ever going to change and nothing can ever be better. And Lord, I pray that that hopelessness would just be broken today pray that you would heal minds that need that. I pray even that as we hand over bitterness and some of this stuff, that we would experience the healing that only comes through you. So we thank you, God, for everything you have done. We worship you and we cry out to you today on behalf of our friends and our families who are in the middle of a dark season in their life. We thank you, God. For some of us in this place, God, who need to respond to your message even for the first time, I pray that today would be a day. Today would be the day. In fact, if you're here today and you have never responded to the message of Jesus, a message that he loves you and he cares about you, that, he, that God sent Jesus to die for you so that you could be forgiven and free, if you put your trust in him, if you've never responded to that, you can do that today. It's not about being baptized or confirmed or even going to church. Those things are an overflow of what God has done in our hearts through Jesus. But if you're here today and you need to make that decision, you can begin to pray right now. Just pray, God, forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. I need you. Change my life. Help me. Transform me can begin to pray these things even in this moment right here. And God, I pray for that person that needs that today. Let this be a real moment of transformation 
And God, that you would do something significant in that and in our lives. God, we open our hearts to you. We need you. We thank you. And God, even as we walk out these doors today, I pray that we would just be more aware of you, Holy Spirit, than we ever have been before. That we would love people the way that you love them and that we would tell people your story. Challenge us, change us, move us, oh God, we pray. And it's in the life-changing, beautiful name of Jesus we ask all of this. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we just put our hands together today?